Hey, welcome to After Church Apologetics. I'm Courtney Seacrest here with Dr. Chris Jakeway and Pastor Leo Wilson, and we're inviting you to join us today in uncovering the truths that will challenge, inspire, and expand your perspective on Christianity. So let's get started. Today we're talking about some practices that um, people have been wondering, should Christians do? So the first one that came in was, should Christians do yoga? Well, this is interesting because it's a, a Hindu spiritual practice. Now, the average person who goes to a yoga class probably isn't aware of it, but the whole point of yoga is to enhance the flow of energy from the body's chakra points. So if those don't exist, then the whole point of it actually uh, makes no sense. The reason they do that in Hinduism is to establish contact with a god. That's what yoga means in the Sanskrit language. To yoke oneself, Atman, with Brahman, that one divine force that's in all things. So religiously, yoga is Hinduism. Uh, In Kundalini yoga, uh, a serpent is coiled at the base of the spine. So these are all images that have a religious connection you know, each of the seven chakra points, uh, some practitioners say there are only five, but they're supposed to be aligned for, for healing energy. It's a Hindu ritual. Now, most people don't know that. Even the term namaste, you've heard people say this as a greeting, right? What does that actually mean in Hinduism? And I don't mean the joke, uh, you coming with us, namaste. Uh, you know, what does it actually mean in, in Hinduism? Hindus say namaste to invoke a Hindu god. I, people are doing this every day in yoga classes and don't even know what they're saying. Mm-hmm. It's a salutation to the god to show respect and to worship. So I often say in classes, uh, uh, imagine if uh, someone takes a class at the uh, Y Center on baptism because there are people that say, look, I'm not into it for religion. Uh, It's just a stretching class. It's exercise, uh, something fun I do with my friends. Well, imagine if you heard somebody say they were taking a baptism class at the Y Center and you go like, well, baptism, what's that about? Well, we dunk each uh, each other underwater because it's a good sort of upper body workout and Sometimes we get tired and we have a snack break. We have like a little piece of bread and a tiny cup of juice, uh, which we call communion. You'd be like, what, huh? Oh, no, no, it's not a religious thing. Uh, Then we start and end the class by saying to each other, you know, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Like, what? No, it's just like an affirming thing because, you know, I have my own way and my own truth and my own life. And none of it's actually religious. We only do it for exercise and fun. And you might be going, right, but you know every single one of those things are Christian things, right? It would just be bizarre. That That's what Hindus I've talked to think when they see non-Hindus doing yoga. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, in in my life, I uh, I like to run, right? It's one of the, th- I like to try to stay fit if I can. And one of the things I tried to do was there was this runner's yoga. So I ended up picking up this, this Blu-ray and I was, I was watching it and I would practice this. I would go through the stretches and everything else. 
and they would start off with saying namaste, you know, and I was like, well, okay, like, unfortunately that's there, but I'm going to focus on the stretching, right? I'm going to focus on this. And at some point, you know, when you start thinking about this, like if your kid comes in the room, it's like, what does that mean? And then it, it made me realize, and I, I tell this to people all the time, this 1 Corinthians 10, 23 passage where it says, I have the right to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. And yes, you could go through and do that, but how many things do I want to filter out in the world? Mm-hmm. There are so many things with people using such language and like what we have to see on television and like, like, do I need to add one more thing to the stuff that I'm trying to say, well, you know, it's permissible. I can filter it out. And at, at some point it's just draining on a person, you know? So there are alternatives. You can find exercise apps that just focus on stretching. Some people, they say, well, like, like the move, like, uh, I think it's called the Cobra, you know, for, for yoga. It's, it's called the McKenzie stretch in physical therapy. It's for a lower back thing. And, and I use that stretch. My doctor talked to me about it. Now, I don't have to do it and say I'm doing the Cobra move. I can still do the McKenzie stretch and feel free. And that's actually what the rest of the First Corinthians 10 passage talks about. It talks about the idea of meat being sacrificed in the market. And look, you can eat it. But if you know it's sacrificed to a false god, if you know it's in a certain context, like, for example, the yoga or the baptism class that Chris was talking about, that would be incredibly awkward. And not only that, according to this passage, you, you shouldn't eat it in that case if it was sacrificed to an idol. So in those cases, you should avoid it. You know, it's not even a permissible thing. It's that you should avoid that. Find other ways. There's other methods to get exercise or stretching out of something. You don't have to do yoga. Yes, I'm also one that has given up yoga. What about you, Chris? I occasionally get the urge to exercise. (laughs) I usually just lie down till it goes away. Okay, well, the next question then is, what about crystals? So I see a lot of people, um, and it's particularly women, uh, there's now these rock stores where you can buy these crystals, and they all have different purposes. So somebody will say, well, this crystal is for um, good energy, and this crystal is for anxiety, and this crystal does this, and they're all supposed to have these different purposes, and you wear them or you hold them. Or, you know, um, there was even the Himalayan salt lamp became really popular uh, that's supposed to neutralize anxiety ions in your home. And so you you, people have these big uh, Himalayan salt rock lamps in their house. So um, those are, you know, typically tied to new age practices as well. So what would we say about crystals? There's actually an Old Testament passages. that I think directly mention it because they talk about stones here. The Bible makes it clear there's no power in rocks. There's no mystical properties in crystals. In Habakkuk chapter 2, in verses 18 to 19, of what value is an idol since a man has carved it or an image that teaches lies? For he who makes it trusts in his own creation— He makes idols that cannot speak. And there he uh, talks about wood and stone. Woe to him who says wood come to life or lifeless stone. Uh, Wake up. Can it give guidance? Now, of course, here they're talking about carving these into idols. But the point is, it's just stone and it's just wood. 
there's nothing magical about that, even if you carve it or do something with it. So for this practice with crystals, besides it being pointless biblically, it's clearly pseudoscience. This yeah. uh, goes back to the chakras we talked about earlier, according to crystal healers that, you know, these are placed on the body. They're supposed to stimulate energy. Now, look, crystals are beautiful examples of God's creation. There's nothing wrong with it. A Christian having crystals in their house for decoration or jewelry or whatever, but there is nothing magical about them. The yeah. superstitious use of crystals is another example of taking what God created and twisting it for an ungodly purpose. You know, using crystals for protection or healing mm -hmm. at its core could be seen as a form of idolatry because it looks to some other spiritual force rather than God for healing and protection. And the Bible warns against anything related to superstition. At one point, I ended up in a geology class in college, probably because the study I had to pick a science class and studying rocks seemed like the easiest choice. And my professor, who was in his doctorate program at the time, stopped us all during class one day because this question was coming up. And he was very not religious, not a Christian anyway. And he said, I need to tell you something so all of you look me in my eyes. Rocks do not have magical powers. They've never had magical powers. So even somebody who's not necessarily up to date on, you know, religion and things that they could be used for, that's his life's work. And he's like, I've never seen a rock do anything other yeah. than be a rock. <laughs> exactly. So I know I've heard this and maybe other people have too. How should we respond to claims um, that when we're doing you know, yoga or using crystals or some of these other like new agey practices like the name it and claim it things. How do we respond to claims that we as Christians are just taking back what was ours first? Well, I think the important thing to realize is none of these things ever were ours in the first place. There's never any mandate in scripture for this law of attraction or that if you speak it, it will come true or uh, with crystals or, or, or any of these things. I know it's become very trendy, this take back kind of language, yeah. but um, they, in every case, fail to show where it was ever part of God's plan in the first place for believers to do these things. Thanks for hanging out with us on After Church Apologetics today. To submit a question for a future episode of our show, you can email us at podcast at bcfriends.org. Remember, the pursuit of truth is ongoing, so we'd like to encourage you to continue seeking and engaging with the topics that we've discussed for yourselves. And as we conclude this episode, we want to remind you that respectful dialogue can bridge gaps and build connections. We'll see you next time.